Hello all, and a, a great warm welcome to you all this morning. It's great to be able to bring God's words to us this morning as we conclude this Does God Care series. Um, welcome to everyone joining us online from Leicester, from Cambridge, and from all around the UK and beyond. Come on. Um, so I'm going to bring the finale of the Does God Care series. We're asking the question... Does God care about salvation? Is the Pope Catholic, people? You know, yes, God cares about salvation, and absolutely so must we. As a uh, Baptist boy, uh, I got ordained through Spurgeon's Bible College down in London. And so uh, go back to my roots. I'm going to quote the incredible evangelist Charles Spurgeon, who said this, Even if I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might, under God, to be a soul winner. (laughs) For never did I know perfect, overflowing, unutterable happiness of the purest and most enabling order till I first heard of one who had sought and found the Saviour through my means. Amen? Come on. I mean, let's together believe that God will give us a soul-winning anointing to be at work in each of our lives. You know, you never forget that first moment of soul-winning. You know, when you experience that perfect, uh, overflowing, unutterable happiness of the purest and most enabling order. I think I was about 14 when literally in my church as I was growing up, I I felt the Lord say to me, the guy over there, this, this big dude with this really long beard, wants to give his life to Jesus. And my heart began to quicken. I didn't know whether I was nervous or whether that's the Holy Spirit. I felt it was God. And so I went over to him at the end of the service. And I just said, um, I was tiny when I was 14, by the way. He was huge. I said, "Um, I just feel God's saying that you might want to give your life to Jesus. And he just burst into tears and literally began to weep and sob, sob in front of me. And I'm like, what do you do with that? And so I was like... Is that a yes? And he was just like, <laughs> and he's nodding his head. And so I did all that I knew to do, which was to say a prayer and for him to repeat this prayer and for him to invite Jesus into our life and into his life. And I know that, that, that happiness of the purest and most enabling order that flooded my soul in that moment. Does God care about salvation? We better believe it, people. God cares about salvation. Um, but to understand what it is to be saved. We firstly need to get an understanding of what it is that we've been saved from. And there's stacks that I could go into here, but by looking at the beginning of Genesis that we've been looking at throughout this series, I'm going to touch on just a few things, three things. We're going to look at that we've been saved from ourselves, that we've been saved from the enemy, and we've been saved from God's wrath on Judgment Day and from hell. And so, firstly, we're saved from ourselves, right? And, and to understand the root of all of this pain and this mess that we get involved with, you know, we need to go back to Genesis. We, we only need to look at the state of the world today to see the, 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 the sense of pain and struggle, the mess of society, the struggle of our world, the, the lack of peace, 
the wars, the discord, the bitterness, the, the onslaught of mental health challenges that consume society today. Yes, we need saving from ourselves. And right back in Genesis 3, we witnessed the greatest catastrophe in all of human history, the moment that has led to all of the pain and the suffering that we experience in the world today. That moment where humanity fell. In Genesis 2, 16, the Lord God says to Adam and Eve, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve were given one instruction, one rule, one boundary, and they messed up. They fell. They rebelled, in a sense, almost wanting control and power for themselves. I mean, does this sound familiar? Mankind messed up then. It messes up now and it will mess until the day Jesus returns. But hallelujah, when we experience salvation and we surrender our lives to Jesus, we get to live a new way. The old is gone and the new has come. God brings order out of our chaos and life out of death and we get to live God's way and not our way. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, we, we will find it. In salvation, we get rescued from ourselves. Secondly, we get rescued from the enemy, from Satan. The Bible says in 1 Peter that the enemy prowls around like a roaring liar, lion waiting for someone to devour. I mean, it's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? And right at the beginning of Genesis 3, there's Satan depicted as a serpent, bringing lies, bringing temptation right from the outset. In Genesis 3, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God. And here's the enemy, the deceiver, causing humanity to question and to doubt God to doubt his love, to doubt his protection, to doubt his care. Let me tell you, the, the schemes and tactics of the enemy have not changed. He deceives then and he deceives now. But hallelujah, in Jesus, we have the victory, amen? We are saved from the enemy. The Bible actually says, at the name of Jesus, the enemy flees. He has no hold on us. As those saved by Jesus, Satan has been disarmed by the power of the cross, amen? You know, Colossians 2 says, having disarmed, that Jesus, having disarmed the powers and the authorities of, of Satan and his dominions, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so, we're saved from ourselves, we are saved from the enemy, and we are saved from God's wrath on just judgment day and from hell. You see, the Bible is clear that all have sinned, not just Adam and Eve, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, and when Adam and Eve chose their way and not God's way, so sin was birthed, and sin always causes separation from God. And immediately in their sin, fear kicked in. You know, Genesis 3 verse 8 says, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid 
from the Lord God amongst the trees. The Lord God asked what they had done. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And with sin comes fear and comes division and discord and separation between themselves and between God. And truth is mankind will be judged for our sin. The Bible is clear. One day we will be judged by a perfect, holy and loving God for all that we have ever done wrong for all of our sin, for all of our shame, for all of our mess. And I, I love the way that J. John frames this, where he, he pictures, you know, the moment that we die, it's like, you know, we'll encounter Jesus and welcome to the theatre of judgment, where right before you will be played everything you've ever done wrong, everything you've ever thought wrong, everything you've ever, you know, messed up with. It's all going to be played in front of your life. And the only just judgment for our sin is death. Enjoy the show. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and after that special premiere, we will be judged by God. And that judgment is death. The Bible is clear. The wages of sin, the cost of our sin is death. But hallelujah, the gift of God is eternal life, right? <laughs> The great good news of the gospel of our salvation is that through Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be judged innocent. Our sin and our shame, wholly and utterly gone because of the blood of Jesus. Where that hypothetical movie, if you like, is entirely blank. Because as far as the east is from the west is as far as he's removed our sin from us. Come on. <laughs> John 3:16. right? For God so loved us the world that he would give his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Jesus died that we don't have to. He paid the price of death that we deserve to pay. And as he cries out on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Death is defeated, sin is conquered, the enemy's head is crushed, and hell hath no hold. This is the wonder of our salvation, amen, come on. <laughs> so, 1 Thessalonians 9 says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even in that moment of original sin, right there in Genesis 3, God already had the salvation plan. You know, the Lord curses the enemy for his deception, and he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, that goes through all 76 generations from Adam and Eve through to Jesus, through which the Lord God says, he, referring to Jesus, will crush your head. You will be defeated as you strike his heel. This is an incredible prophetic declaration of the enemy's total defeat through the power of the cross, amen? We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from the enemy. We're saved from God's wrath at judgment and from hell. Does God care about our salvation? 100%. <laughs> and so must we, and so must we. I mean, what incredible, awesome news we carry as followers of Jesus. Can I humbly suggest 
that we should spend the rest of our lives declaring this such incredible news through the things that we say, through the things that we do. I'm sure you've heard it said before, but you know, if we had the cure for cancer, we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, would we? We, we, would, we would declare it out. We would declare this great news. Well, we have news that's far better and more life-giving than the cure to cancer for life today and for all eternity. And that's the news of Jesus and what he's done for us. That's our news. I remember once reading the words um, from the atheist um, Penn and Teller from Penn Gillette. And he wrote this. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, who don't basically share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? It's an incredible perspective. And so, with this in mind, Jesus commands us to go. To go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go do the work of an evangelist. Go proclaim the name of Jesus through what we say and what we do. And I love what the the great theologian uh, John Stott says. He says, We engage in evangelism today, not because we want to, or because we choose to, or because we like to, but because we have been told to. The church is under orders. The risen Lord has commanded us to go, to preach, and to make disciples, and that is enough for us. (laughs) Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and so must we. And so... With Christmas in mind, I'm going to just quickly touch on some things that we can be doing in this season to get, to get praying, right? to get acting on those prayers, to get building relationship and sharing story, to love well, and importantly, to invite to what we've got going on this coming Christmas. And so let me encourage us to pray. Let's, let's pray for everyone, okay? But let's, let's specifically choose to pray for 10. Let's focus our prayers to see salvation come for 10, that their eyes would be unveiled to the light of the glory of God. I I love the story of the the great American evangelist, D.L. Moody, who um, basically prayed daily for 100 friends and family and acquaintances. Throughout his life, he prayed faithfully for those people. At his funeral, by the time he died, 96 of them had come to follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And at his funeral, the final four came to faith. I want you to know that when we pray, there is power in our prayers. You know, when we pray regularly, when we persevere in prayer, there's a God who loves to answer our prayers. And Ephesians 3 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. But let's not just pray. Let's do that. (laughs) But let's act on those prayers. Faith without action 
the Bible says is dead. So what's the action? You know, what are those simple acts of love and kindness and obedient, obedience that will build on our prayers and see the transformation that we're believing for? I remember uh, I, I spoke at, at my, my old church before I came here and uh, gave a gospel message. This, this young man, uh, he was 18, uh, a Sikh young man, really tall, a big turban on his head. He came forward to respond to Jesus. And I had the tremendous privilege of leading him to Jesus. And, and that's when he said to me, he goes, Phil, I knew you before today. I said, did you? He goes, yeah. He said, five years ago, I came into this church to the youth club that you ran and you came running across the hall with this big, his word, stupid grin on your face. <laughs> and you said, can I buy you a milkshake? I said, did I? He goes, yeah, you bought me a milkshake. And he said, I knew there was something authentic about the Christian faith in that moment that for the past five years, I have been questioning my own faith. Until this morning, I'm walking and I felt God say, you've got to go to church. And so I came to the only church I'd ever been to, and here I am. And he gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> I want you to know that a simple smile and a milkshake can see someone change from one faith to another. What is the smile? What is the milkshake? What is the simple act of kindness that God is calling you to bring this Christmas? You know, I want to say that you know, one of the key steps to effective witness and evangelism is to assume friendship with everyone. Like, be super friendly. <laughs> this is actually my wife's superpower, okay? Like, she will strike up conversation with everyone that she comes across. Like, she, she will just spend time lingering in conversation until she feels the Holy Spirit at work. And as she begins to respond to what the Spirit is doing, she'll see people being prayed for in the street, praying for miracles, inviting them to us, our Sunday services. And we'll see God move as a friendship is presumed. Assume friendship. Take a step to see friendship built. Be proactive in friendliness. And as we act in that friendliness. Let's be mindful of three stories that are at work in our conversation. Right? Let's be sharing God's story, the great good news of the gospel that I've shared on. You know, what God has done in our lives. Let's share our story, the difference that God has made in our lives, and let's connect it to their story. Let's listen well, because whatever challenges and struggles they're going through, for sure, Jesus is the answer. So, just Friday, just gone, at our youth on Friday night, <laughs> one of the team came up to me. We had an interesting week a couple of weeks ago, over 400 young people. It was, it was, it was, it was great, chaotic. <laughs> we won't go any further. But my team came up to me and said, you know, Phil, three girls have just come in. You, you, you need to watch out for them because they're causing trouble. Two, two weeks ago, they're causing fights. We had to kick them out. We, uh, they're trying to kick the door in. I'm like, oh, you know. So I've got my eyes on these three girls. And, you know, they came in and they, they wouldn't settle and were being a bit disruptive and just swearing and like they wouldn't come and sit down. I'm like, girls, you know, you don't have to be here if you don't want to be here. We want you here. 
God wants you here. I believe you're meant to be here, but you don't have to be here because they're just, you know, taking, making fun out of all the people, out of what's going on. They're like, this is rubbish. Where's the gig? Where's the band? Where's all this stuff? I said, girls, you can go if you want to. They sat down for about three minutes before they decided to go. And as they went, I, I followed them. In my heart, just burdened of God's love for them because they're missing the opportunity to encounter God. And so I followed them out and I took them to the cloakroom and got them their coats. And, you know, they, they, they were just so aggressive to what was going on. And I'm like, how, Lord, can I connect with them? And so I just thought I'd start, I'd start making fun out of the youth service as well. I mean, what a load of rubbish this is, I said. I mean, who are these silly Bible-bashing Christians? And all of a sudden, there was this connection point. They're like, yeah, you're on my level. <laughs> and so their guard dropped. And I began to be able to talk to them. I said, girls, please don't go. Why don't you just come and chat with me? Where are you going to go anyway? So I spent the next 45 minutes just talking to these girls out in the atrium. And the power of three stories was at work. I, I got to listen to their story. Their hurt, their pain, their brokenness, their struggle, their sense of rejection, their sense of not being wanted and their failure. And I started to share my story and my wife's story. And they started to identify with some of those things. And then I started sharing the gospel story about God's love. He loves you so much. He'd send his son to die for you. And you are beautiful and you are good. And this is not you. And there are tears in their eyes as God just began to move in their hearts. And so at the end of that time, I said, girls, do you want to do something about this? And in that moment, all three of them surrendered their lives to Jesus. <laughs> three lives radically transformed by three stories powerfully at work. And as I come in the land, you know, through all of our prayers, all of our actions, our conversations, our assuming friendship, our loving well, let's get inviting people. We've got some incredible Christmas services right around the corner. And, you know, this, this Christmas, I, I feel challenged, you know, not only to invite everyone from my street like I ordinarily do, but to knock on every door and personally invite them to come along. Who knows the power of story that might be at work in that moment? Imagine if we all did that. All invited 10 neighbours personally. That'd be about 15,000 people personally invited to our Christmas services. I, I remember I gave a similar challenge, and I'll finish with this. Um, and maybe if the band want, want to come up. You know, I, I gave a challenge to some young people. How, how are you going to share God's love with your community this this season. It wasn't Christmas. They didn't have that perfect excuse that we've got in this season, but it was February. So they decided that on Valentine's Day, they were going to give every neighbor a chocolate heart of an expression of God's love for them. And so they, they worked out what they were going to say. They knocked on the first door and, and this lady answered the door. And in that moment, they just completely forgot everything they'd planned to say. Like, they just froze. And so they, they, they shoved this chocolate heart into this lady's hand and literally just said, you're loved. <laughs> and then they looked at each other, minds blank, and literally, I kid you not, they decided to run away. <laughs> and they run down the drive, round the corner and out of sight. And they said, that was terrible. <laughs> we can do better than that. So... They went to the next house and they opened the door and they're like, 
we want you to know this Valentine's Day that, that, that you're loved by God. Great. And, and basically they told me how their confidence grew and grew door by door until essentially they're knocking on doors saying, we've been sent by God to tell you that he loves you. And he loves you so much. He sent Jesus to die for you and we're here. I have an expression of that love. Isn't that amazing? What they didn't know that a few doors from the end of the street, a lady only moments before had been on her knees praying, saying, God, if you are real, I need to know that you love me. And in that moment, we've been sent by God to tell you that he loves you. And do you know what? A moment of God encounter happened in that moment and that life was forever transformed. The adventure lies in us getting uncomfortable for Jesus. And I want to encourage us. How can we get uncomfortable? How can we assume friendship? How can we love well? How can we go effectively for Jesus? I'm going to give us a moment to respond because there's some of you here who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never declared him Lord of your life. You've never accepted the forgiveness that comes through the cross. That means we are judged innocent and free from guilt and shame. That we are judged holy and righteous before God. And you're here this morning because God desires you to come to him. To know him afresh. To know the life that comes in knowing him. There are others of you who, for whatever reason... You, you, you've fallen away from your love for Jesus. You've fallen away from living your life for Him. And you find yourself here this morning and I'm telling you, Jesus is drawing you back to Him. He loves you. He died for you. And your presence right here is because He desires for you to know His love afresh for your life. His grace is sufficient for each one of us. His power made perfect in weakness. So let's pray together. Let's act together. Let's share story. Let's assume friendship. Let's build relationship and let's invite together that by God's grace, we might be soul winners. Amen. <laughs> so I'm just going to finish with a prayer. Just like I prayed on Friday night with those three girls, simply inviting Jesus to come into our heart, thanking him for what he's done for us on the cross and surrendering our lives to him afresh. What a privilege that we get to live the adventure of following Jesus. I'm gonna pray. Just pray with me. Let's all repeat a prayer as a, a body of Christ together. But I'm gonna ask if you prayed that for the first time or as a recommitment, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand whilst everyone's eyes are bowed as we come to close in the prayer. So, dear Lord God, let's try that again. Repeat after me, dear Lord God, Thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I choose right now to follow you, to invite you into my life, that I may live your way and not my way. Forgive me, Lord, for all I've done wrong and come into my life by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whilst everyone's eyes are closed and heads bowed, if you just said that prayer as a first time to the Lord or as a recommitment, just stick your hand right in the air. Be bold, be confident, stick it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Stick it high. 
It's a day that changes not only life today, but life for all eternity. Let's give them a round of applause, all those that have got their hands up. Hallelujah. Come on. Who does God want to use you to see lives transform this Christmas? Every relationship you have is a God-given opportunity. Let's end our time together. Let's worship God. Let's celebrate. There are angels in heaven rejoicing for every sinner that repents and turns to him. So let's go out in style. Let's love our Lord and Saviour and surrender ourselves to the first dream. Let's stand.